Hayley Mills has written a book about her life in acting called Forever Young. As a child actor, she had problems trying to continue looking young as she grew up. Her father was the actor John Mills, and Hayley starts by describing to Michael Barclay her parents' happy marriage. Hayley Mills was described by Walt Disney as the greatest movie find in 25 years, after starring at the age of just 12 in the British crime thriller Tiger Bay, alongside her father John Mills, for which he won a BAFTA, Disney signed her up for a six-movie deal that included The Parent Trap, In Search of the Castaways and Pollyanna, for which she won an Oscar in 1961. In a career spanning more than six decades, Haley has gone on to work all over the world in films, television and on stage, and she's just published a memoir of her early life called... Forever Young. The Parent Trap, one of the films that made you famous, was about divorce. Your parents had a famously close and happy marriage, as you were just suggesting. But that is pretty unusual amongst celebrities. Why do you think it worked so well in their case? I think it worked really well with them because they were soul mates. They found each other. It's a miraculous thing, actually, isn't it, when you... With all the billions of people in the world, you find that one person that you completely connect with. And they just adored each other from the beginning right through to the very end when my my father died at 97 and my mother was 95 and they they died within a few months of each other. He decided he'd had enough first and then after he'd gone, she she followed quite soon after. Although they had an extremely happy relationship, I mean, no human life is without its problems. And in your book, you describe your mother's problems with drink. Did that have an impact on your life at all? Yes, of course, because you don't like to see your, your, you know, your mother, your father, whoever it is, in distress and uh, not be able to help. Mm-hmm. And we all kept trying to get her to acknowledge she had a problem and that she needed to go to AA. Or she said, oh, ridiculous, I don't need to go to AA. I don't want to stop. I like it. I like it. She said, I'm, I'm, I'm like Uncle Bones. Uncle Bones was this Irish relative who died of drink. <laughs> I said, but we don't want you to die of drink like Uncle Bones. But, you know, she was very stubborn and had an amazing capacity, uh, could drink everybody under the table and wake up the next morning without a headache. Um, well, maybe a slight one, but mm. the Alka-Seltzer soon sorted that out. But it wasn't good, ultimately, for her. And Alcohol inflames things and inflames situations. Um, that, that wasn't good. You want to hear Mendelssohn's O for the Wings of a Dove, I think, for your mother. When she was at Malvern Girls College, she was kicked out of schools all over the place because she was so naughty. But when she was at Malvern, she was in the choir and she sang the solo of O for the Wings of a Dove and she used to play it and sing with it and she had a really lovely voice. Well, in this performance, Adam Berman is the soloist.
for the wings of a dove. Adam Berman was the soloist in music from Mendelssohn's anthem, Hear My Prayer, with Ralph Allwood directing the Eton College Chapel Choir. The organist was David Good. I have noticed already now that we've had several pieces that have a, a yearning quality to them. Uh, would you accept that? <laughs> yes. Oh, yes, I do. Absolutely. And I'm, I must say I'm so grateful some thoughtful person supplied a box of Kleenex. <laughs> Your book is called Forever Young and in it you describe the difficulties of growing up in the spotlight the pressures in a way not to grow up Um, I think you even suffered from bulimia as a teenager because you must have felt a bit under pressure to remain looking like this angelic little girl Um, It's a strange, difficult, conflicting, complicated period adolescence, isn't it? You probably had your problems too, Michael. I certainly did. (laughs) You know, I started putting on weight like lots of girls do. Um, and weight and boobs, oh dear, and spots, and, and actually finding the whole thing rather alarming. Because I was acting, and because I was under contract to Walt Disney, uh, I mean, I still had big bows on my hair and on my bottom when I was 16. (laughs) And I felt that I was partly longing to grow up and partly afraid to grow up. Mm -hmm. And this bulimia business, I think it's all about hanging on to what is familiar, which is this child body. Um... And that, I think, is what it was with me. Well, I mean, everyone always thinks that these eating disorders um, are confined to girls, but, of course, they're not. Um, Boys go through elements of this. In fact, I did it, you asked, uh, at at that age. And I was wondering whether you had any sort of psychological help. Uh, You mean, did I go to see a therapist? Hmm. No, no, I didn't, not at that age, no. But nobody knew what I was doing. Michael. I kept it secret. In fact, I thought I was the only person who was doing it because I got the idea from a champion jockey who I met in a health farm where I was there trying to lose weight and he told me that he used to eat grass to make himself throw up. So I thought that was a really good idea. Not the grass bit, but the throwing up bit. So I would eat normally and then go and throw it all up, which was awful. Well, I think it probably helps other people who are suffering from this to to know uh, the things that people went through but then come out of.
Alan Sorensen is Church of Scotland Minister in Greenock. Alan has given us permission to broadcast some of his short God spots, and today he examines salami. There are two things in life that you should never watch being made. One is salami, and the other one is government policy. Well, leaving the government aside, isn't it amazing that half the world seems prepared to eat salami? I mean, it's disgusting stuff! Have you any idea what goes into it? There's only one thing worse. What we eat in Scotland, I guess. And yet you'll find millions of people prepared to sing the praises of salami because they love it. And actually, I happen to love haggis. So, if you love someone, are you willing to sing their praises, even though they may be a load of rubbish inside? Peculiar blessings to you. Jeremy Irons has recorded the Psalms from the authorised version of the Bible. Today we hear Jeremy reading Psalm 107. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth for ever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy, and gathered them out of the lands from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. They wandered in the wilderness in a solitary way. They found no city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distresses. And he led them forth by the right way, that they might go to a city of habitation. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness, and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he satisfies the longing soul, and filleth the hungry soul with goodness. Such as sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, being bound in affliction and iron, because they rebelled against the words of God, and condemned the counsel of the Most High. Therefore he brought down their heart with labour. They fell down, and there was none to help. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death, and break their bands in sunder. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness, for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he hath broken the gates of brass and cut the bars of iron in sunder. Fools, because of their transgression and because of their iniquities, are afflicted. Their soul abhorreth all manner of meat, and they draw near unto the gates of death. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and he saveth them out of their distresses. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men and let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare his works with rejoicing. They that go down to the sea in ships, that do business in great waters, these see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he commandeth and raiseth the stormy wind which lifteth up the waves thereof. They mount up to the heaven. They go down again to the depths. Their soul is melted because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wit's end. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble and he bringeth them out of their distresses. He maketh the storm a calm, so that the waves thereof are still. 
Then are they glad, because they be quiet. So he bringeth them unto their desired haven. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Let them exalt him also in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. He turneth rivers into a wilderness and the water springs into dry ground, a fruitful land into barrenness for the wickedness of them that dwell therein. He turneth the wilderness into a standing water and dry ground into water springs. And there he maketh the hungry to dwell, that they may prepare a city for habitation, and sow the fields and plant vineyards, which may yield fruits of increase. He blesseth them also, so that they are multiplied greatly, and suffereth not their cattle to decrease. Again they are minished and brought low through oppression, affliction, and sorrow. He poureth contempt upon princes and causeth them to wander in the wilderness where there is no way. Yet setteth he the poor on high from affliction and maketh him families like a flock. The righteous shall see it and rejoice and all iniquity shall stop her mouth. Whoso is wise and will observe these things even they shall understand the loving-kindness of the Lord. Oh
Stephen is a poet who used to live in Dunkeld, and he's been on this program many times. Kenneth explores why people are drawn to poetry in times of crisis. Today, Kenneth looks at the Spring Offensive by William Owen, read by Emma Fielding. I think of some of the profoundly beautiful lines in the poetry of Wilfred Owen. There he was, in the very furnace of madness that was trench warfare. Yet one cannot help feeling that his work became more beautiful as the years progressed. Wilfred Owen was killed just one week before the end of the First World War. This poem, Spring Offensive, was one of the last poems he wrote. It may even be the very last. It's as though the more terrible the external conditions became, the deeper he dug within himself for the beauty and healing of words. They are like the cool of deep water to a wanderer across the desert. They reach the deepest roots of the soul, the most profound words in the most profound order. Halted against the shade of a last hill, they fed, and lying easy were at ease, and finding comfortable chests and knees, carelessly slept. But many there stood still, to face the stark, blank sky beyond the ridge, knowing their feet had come to the end of the world. Marvelling they stood, and watched the long grass swirled by the May breeze, murmurous with wasp and midge, 
for though the summer oozed into their veins, like the injected drug for their bones' pains, sharp on their souls hung the imminent line of grass, fearfully flashed the sky's mysterious glass. Hour after hour they ponder the warm field, and the far valley behind, where the buttercups had blessed with gold their slow boots coming up, where even the little brambles would not yield, but clutched and clung to them like sorrowing hands. They breathe like trees unstirred. Till, like a cold gust, thrilled the little word at which each body and its soul begird and tightened them for battle. No alarms of bugles, no high flags, no clamorous haste, only a lift and flare of eyes that faced the sun, like a friend with whom their love is done. O oh, larger shone that smile against the sun, mightier than his whose bounty these have spurned. So soon they topped the hill and raced together over an open stretch of herb and heather, exposed, and instantly the whole sky burned with fury against them, and soft sudden cups opened in thousands for their blood, and the green slopes chasmed and steepened sheer to infinite space. Of them who, running on that last high place, leapt to swift unseen bullets, or went up on the hot blast and fury of hell's upsurge, or plunged and fell away past this world's verge, some say God caught them even before they fell. But what say such as from existence brink, ventured but drave too swift to sink? The few who rushed in the body to enter hell, and there, outfiending all its fiends and flames with superhuman inhumanities, long famous glories, immemorial shames, and crawling slowly back, have by degrees regained cool, peaceful air in wonder. Why speak they not of comrades that went under? The second movement of Robert Schumann's Chrysleriana reminds me that poetry and music share something profound. In particularly emotive sequences of music, there are clear high points. We both long to reach them and long to hold them, to keep them from passing. We yearn for that beloved phrase of notes, but in yearning for it, we cannot bear for it to be over. Perhaps in this paradox we have something of the whole poignancy of life itself. We yearn for the mountaintop experience, knowing deep inside the valley must follow. <laughs> 